0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Disrupt TV. My name is Bala Afsher. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to join us on Twitter, at Disrupt TV Show. Also send Ray, myself, and our distinguished guests questions on Twitter using hashtag Disrupt TV. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong, CEO, founder of Constellation Research, Best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business. Ray doesn't like it when I hold the book up, but I, I love the book. <laughs> He's also a contributor to Forbes, Harvard Business Review, ZDNet, and other publications. He's a keynote speaker and one of the best followers on Twitter at rwamg0. Welcome, Ray, to episode 60 of Disrupting <laughs>
1: Episode 60, hey everybody, and thanks to my co-host Bala Afshar, as you mentioned, chief digital uh, evangelist at Salesforce, but more importantly, one of the top CIO, CMO influencers in the world, um, contributor Huffington Post, and also an author himself. I will be finding his book next week. If have but, um, but hey, more importantly, we have an awesome guest today. Who do we have? One of the top thinkers.
0: We are one of the top CIOs in the country. We're uh, delighted to have Nicole Raimundo. CIO of Town of Cary on our show, Cary is a thriving community uh, in the heart of the Triangle Area of North Carolina, between Raleigh and the renowned research triangle, uh, it's repeatedly ranked as uh, amongst the top regions in the country to live and work. Uh, Nicole was recently awarded the North Carolina Technology Association's 2016 Public Sector CIO of the Year Award, congratulations. Uh, She's a passionate technology leader uh, in both private and public sector experience. Nicole promotes the value of partnerships and innovative thinking in government while continuously pursuing new models of civic innovation for collaborative citizen-facing projects. Uh, Before coming to Town of Kerry, Nicole serves as the Chief Operating Officer for City of Raleigh, where she was responsible for the creation and direction of the award-winning Open Data Program for City of Raleigh. You can uh, follow Nicole on Twitter at N-R-A-I-M-U-N-D-O. Welcome, Nicole, to Disrupt TV.
2: Thank you for having me. It's great okay. to be here. Hey,
1: congratulations on your award um, for Thank 2016. Um, I think for a lot of folks, right, when we think about public sector, we think about the challenges, right, you know, constraint budgets, you know, limited op, you know limited you know opportunities. Lots of decisions, conversations, stakeholders, constituents to work about. So, how do you break down silos um, and help organizations take a strategic point of view? Because it's hard, especially in, in, in public sector.
2: So, okay, let's face it. It's a journey, right? Breaking down silos is an ongoing journey. For me, here in the town of Cary, it was. Um, it's- It's been um, a little easier than previous. I think listening to a lot, um, going out, meeting with each of the department directors, listening to what they're saying, trying to build that trust is really important. For them, I think um, breaking them out of thinking about just their business and starting to think about the overall organization and thinking about how um, sharing information can benefit everyone and as well as their own department. So for us, it was a lot about um, in terms of technology moving away from a gazillion small applications and starting to move more towards platforms where it's easier for us to share across.
0: Yeah, uh, that's, that's fantastic. In fact, you know, you recently uh, talked about you know investing in mobile technologies, uh, cloud systems and uh, more of a platform approach so instead of looking at singular applications for a particular department creating a platform so you can co-create value and collaborate across the entire town can you talk to us a little bit about that that vision that you're bringing to care
2: yeah sure i mean you know it's really let's face it it's really not a sustainable model for us as a department to support um lots of redundant applications and just lots of single applications, right? So moving more towards this platform for us gives us one source of the truth. It lets us look at a 360 view of our citizens, of our vendors, and it helps us look at how we can better serve our community, and it allows for us to have better metrics. It is absolutely 100% the way for us to go, I personally am a non. I have a passion and a mission for this because I think it's something that all governments, uh, our municipalities, should do. I think a lot of times we get uh, we get stuck in this. Well, this product is just for government, so we have to buy it. When in fact, it's not. So I think a platform approach is something that um, all governments really should look at.
1: Okay. Wow. So actually, um, you raise a very, very good point, right? You are moving to a data-driven approach, right? And some of this is happening with your open data uh, initiatives. Um, talk, talk, about, talk about how people are using data, um, especially in some of those open data initiatives that you have in place. Um, you know, what are you doing to you know, change the way you know, behaviors occur, how people access that data to do something different or actually build, build up on, on top of that um, in, in terms of uh, you know, data-driven kind of activities?
2: Sure. So we started, um, So I, as Val mentioned, I worked on open data previously in Raleigh, and, and it was fantastic, and I really learned a lot about it. And one of the things that I learned was we are putting out data, and it was really meant for citizen, you know, hacktivist developers. It's in its raw form. And when I came to Cary, I um, really thought about how do we make data really accessible and meaningful to our everyday citizens. And that's when we really decided to use it in um, telling stories so that people could understand how to use the data and really see the meaning behind it. Now, I always give the example of, you know, in Raleigh, we put out our fire data, and you could see anomalies, but you had no idea, right? So maybe that year there was a drought, so there were a lot of, um, you know, fires going on. So I really thought it was important to talk about the stories behind it and connect. Now, in Cary, we have um, a strong code for America Brigade, and they actually yep. co-built a lot of it with us. And we had lots of conversations with them, too, explaining to them, OK, I understand how you think, but let's think about how the everyday citizen is. And so we put out lots of visualizations with data and um, allowed them to really look at it and look at things that were meaningful, whether it was you know health inspection data on restaurants, which, everyone should look at before they go out to eat, Um, or whether it was something simple as our neighborhoods were all built at at different times, but together. So um, everyone's changing out their HVAC systems, right, in the summer. So you can now see um, who's doing that, who was the vendor on it, and it makes for better citizen engagement for them to talk to each other. So I think it's been, um, it's been a great success for us. We actually allow citizens to input their own stories if they have it. And we share the data, um, encourage sharing of the data with our um, local technology, our technical college. They have a, um, a program on business analytics. And so last Friday they were doing some capstone projects and I got to see a presentation on where Carrie should put their next fire station.
0: Based on a whole bunch of open data, so it's kind of cool. That's awesome. Well, I mean, you are in the RTP, cool. Research Triangle Park, so it's one of the country's top hubs. Uh, you just gave an example of working with students at a local college university. Are you able to take advantage of, uh, you know, this technological hub that surrounds uh, Carrie?
2: Yeah, I mean, seriously, we are so blessed, right? So um, we we get to take advantage of it and um, it's great. So for us, it's a short drive, so we can go over to Cisco, see what's going on over there, go to Lenovo's Innovation Lab. Um, Actually next week, there's a whole group of us going up to IBM and they're helping us with the workshop on leading innovation in organizations. Um, We, you know, the unique thing about, Carry versus Raleigh is we're on a campus as opposed to being spread out through the city. And the benefit of us having a campus is we can test um, technologies on the campus before we deploy it to the field, so we are in the midst of building out a um, smart campus, so we essentially have everything that you need to create a smart city within our, our campus, and so we've partnered with um, SAS and Census and Salesforce, so we've got strong partnerships. So it's public-private, so we're not spending citizens' dollars, which is good, to test out technology. So next week we're having um, parking sensors put in one of the lots, and that'll be a good start for us to kind of test out that technology and prove it before we deploy it at a larger scale um, throughout the town
1: that is really, really really cool now there's a plus side and a minus side of having you know to work in a very educated populace um, because you know sometimes it makes it easier and sometimes it makes it harder to make changes uh, how's it work for you because like lots of folks are probably like well you know I'm, I'm an expert in x y and z how come you don't do it this way uh, and we get this a lot in the valley like we, we always make fun we have the panel every year at our at our constellation uh, conference where it's like how to be a Silicon Valley CXO and survive, <laughs> so.
2: Yeah, so it, that is interesting. We, um, we definitely get feedback when things um, don't seem to be the way other people want them, right? We can't fool them. We do have an advisory board, a technology advisory board made up of citizens that meets once a month So we do sit with them, listen to them, and they provide their feedback and they'll share things that they would like to see us um, working on. So I think we have a good um, communication stream, but I think for us, there is always that challenge of the expectations are high. You know, we live in a town where, um, you know, everyone's using technology just like everyone else in their everyday life, so the expectation is, when they come to town hall or look at apps or anything we do, it should work the same exact way.
0: I love That's the it. I love the transparency and the fact that you're a big proponent of open data and 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 you know what Ray and I always said you know a story can can change the world a good story. Tell us a little bit about the, the, you know the art of using data and analytics to tell a story where the citizens almost feel like, and perhaps they are, helping you and your team co-create value and improve the overall community experience of Carrie.
2: Yeah, so I mean, I think by opening it up, the first step for us really is sharing it and opening up the possibilities for people to contribute their own stories and going through. We do a lot of co-creation, like I said, with our local brigade. Um, interestingly, last year, we had uh, 10 high school students that were interns. So the local high school has a program that's an information technology track where they learn they SAS analytics through that, and we had them on site. And they worked a lot on the open data portal, and it was interesting to get their perspective and, and interest in government where I think that experience really helped them. So I think for us it's all about sharing it listening like the presentation the other night where the woman got up and showed us where to put our new fire station right so i invited her in and come meet with the fire department we want to hear that stuff
0: that's amazing
1: oh it's really cool i mean i was on the site and i was sitting here like the way the storytelling works right you know here's where the homes are being built right here's all the permits and yeah. here's all the green space that's happening, right, you know, here's all the things, you know, people want in parks and recreation, I mean, it's pretty wild, right, and, and usually, like, when you walk into a planning meeting or you walk in as a citizen, you don't, you don't have all this data. Most people, like, uh, in, in the neighborhoods I live in, these uh, two incomes that are working, so, so you get two income working families, nobody's got time to look up this stuff, and, and suddenly all this information's in front of you, you show up to a meeting, you're like, oh, that's kind of interesting, I would've known that, and uh, it's, it's pretty powerful what you have there in terms of that data. Um, and hey, tied back to the smart cities that are going on with the smart campus that you talked about, um, are you, what are you pioneering around how, how data gets collected, how the sensors are in place, you know, how these, I mean, is this, is this kind of a beginning of where you guys want to head to in terms of smart cities overall?
2: Yeah, so it's um, it's definitely the beginning of where we want to head, and I'm going to be honest, it's been about a year-long journey working with um, the various partners, and Quite interestingly, um, nobody's gotta figure it out. And everybody's looking for whatever that stack is gonna look like. And there's really no standards. So we've found it's been interesting with part, you know, we've talked to different partners, whether it's Duke Energy or even Cisco. And you know, a year ago everyone was like, Yeah, we're all in, we're all in. And then we're like, okay, let's go. And they're like, well, wait, we're not really ready yet. Um, so there's been lots of stops and starts as as we figured out, but it actually, it's great because we're kind of figuring it out together and being able to deploy it and then swap things in and out. So our vision is to um, test everything out on campus before we figure out whether to deploy it, so whether it's um, the the parking meters, or whether it's some sustainability stuff around our building energy efficiencies, or wayfinding, whatever, lighting. We um, actually have two swap spots. So if you were to sell something on Craigslist, we have two swap spots in front of the police department. So we want to be able to control the lighting on that, and cameras, and analytics, and visuals. So we've got lots of opportunities around campus, whether it's even simple stuff like Tell me when to, you know, fill up the trash. When to empty the recycling. So I think we've got a good model. the um, The cool thing is because we are so close to RTP is part of the benefit of having the public private partnership is you know if you're at SAS or Cisco you can come and show your clients an actual real working model, not a simulation in their lab. They get to really bring them down and. It's a, it's an actual model for them. So it's a win-win the way I see it.
0: That's all. That's well, it's really cool
1: because the, um, the the swap spots, right, for folks don't know, I mean, if you're trying to sell an Internet-based transaction, scalp a ticket, just kidding. Um, <laughs> The point thing is, like, you've got a safe spot. You know, it's light. It's a place you can do it any time of the day, and it's it's a really cool concept as you as you bridge digital transactions and public safety. Which which you know, a lot of times it's like, hey, I don't know what I bought, right? So that is a very very cool concept. So
0: where do you, Nicole? Where do you research? Uh, and you know, so clearly you work with universities. You work with the RTP technology uh, partners uh, and. But, you know, where else do you go to develop your investment thesis for IT, you know, 12 to 24 months? Uh, Is it conferences, social media, peer CIOs? Give us some advice in terms of how you develop your vision.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's everything, right? It's a combination of conferences. It's networking for, and again, I I can't reiterate enough how blessed we are to be in the location we are because there's lots of events and networking events for us to attend. I think being in a government and municipal especially, it's really, really critical to go out and network, especially with private industry, to see what they're doing because it's really applicable to what we do. Um, You know, there's lots of events going on, I think also attending conferences that aren't, again, specific to um, municipal government are really important because that's most of um, or a lot of the forward thinking is really driven by industry, and that's where we need to be, and that's how we need to get ahead and get uh, faster is is to leverage those partnerships and what other people are doing.
1: Wow, well, hey, we'll keep you in mind as we put together our list of people for constellation connected enterprise. Uh, we're always looking for great insights and speakers as, as part of that. Hey, I got a question for you though. You're in Raleigh, big city, like four times as big as Cary. Carrie. Um, Cary's a little bit smaller. Uh, what changes when you're working in a smaller city versus in a larger city? We've had other great CIOs like uh, from the municipalities, Jonathan Reichenthal from the city of Palo Alto and Miguel Camino when he was at uh, San Francisco. And uh, they 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 sure that there's difference in scale, but there's also difference in what's happening. You know, when you work in larger or smaller cities. So, kind of curious into your perspective.
2: Yeah, sure. So I'm gonna I'm gonna correct you a little bit. I think we're about two and a half. All right. <laughs> we're smaller. For about 000, but, uh, we're about one hundred and sixty thousand, but like the second biggest town. Um, but it it is a little different. Raleigh's got different challenges, right? I mean. It's got different challenges just in diversity and, and crime, although, you know, Raleigh is very safe, Carrie is extremely safe. I think it. some of it really is the same differences you would see in working in a larger organization to a smaller organization, right? When you're in that smaller organization, it's, um, it's easier to be a little bit more nimble. Um, Things don't take quite as long because of um, the process. It's a lot easier to get things through. Organizationally structured wise, Raleigh and Carrie are structured different, differently. Um, end of the day, we still have the same problems, you know, uh, or same challenges, I should say. Maybe I should say opportunities. Maybe they're opportunities, I guess, right?
1: Um, I'm trying to cross social funnels. I, can, I help help I'm just kidding. <laughs> so.
2: Yeah. Hey, we're, we're working on all that. Um, I will say this area is I found it unique that we have great relationships with our neighboring communities so we partner with Raleigh a lot and also with the county so we um, meet all the time share resource ideas Um, we're sharing data back and forth because we really see it as a region and you know I like to share you know we all talk about smart cities and you know the ability um, especially in terms of saving lives when you can um, control the lights, right? the street lights. Yep, yep. Well, you know you want to be able to do that all the way from one town to another. Our car's not going to stop right at the Carry town limits going into to Raleigh. so it's really important for efforts like that for us to work on a regional basis in order for them really to have the impact that I think they can have.
1: This is very great. We've been talking to Nicole Raimundo, CIO at the Town of Cary. You can follow her at N-R-A-I-M-U-N-D-O. And more importantly, catch her on the replay of Disrupt TV. And more importantly, follow her, her blog, and what's happening, Cary, for some of the innovative things that are happening in municipalities. Thank you very much for being on the show.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you. Very, very cool. We've had some great municipal CIOs and public sector CIOs on our show, Val. So we've we seen really some do. very, very, very cool things.
0: We really do. So, extraordinary CIO. Definitely a rising star, no question. Um, so, again, uh, fantastic insights from uh, someone who's going through uh, digital transformation at Carry. And now our next guest, Two Patel, the Senior Vice President of Platform and Chief Strategy Officer at Box. In his role, he leads Box's platform business, driving the strategy for Box platform business and developer relations. He also oversees Box's corporate strategy and development organization. G2 has more than 20 years of experience in enterprise information technology. And before joining Box, he was a general manager and chief executive of EMC's Simplicity Business Unit. He previously held uh, leadership roles at EMC's Information Intelligence Group, including chief marketing officer, chief strategy officer, and CTO. You can follow G2 on Twitter at Patel, 41 41 may be the number on his race car because he dreams of being a NASCAR driver at some point. (laughs) Welcome, G2, to Disrupt TV.
3: It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. I do. Hey, I do too. Welcome. And, uh, and more, more importantly,
1: is, is, is uh, his work at HackerRank—that's that's the cool stuff that's going on <laughs> in the background. <laughs> so, but hey, what's it like to be the top tech person in a tech company? I'm not saying Aaron's not the top tech person, but is it easy? Is it hard? We're just talking about what happens, you know, on the CIO side. Being, you know, CIO of a very, very highly educated, sophisticated town like Carrie, where there are lots of folks that know a lot of stuff. I mean, how's it like being the person that's in charge of tech? and platforms and what's happening in a company where, you know, you're a tech company. So.
3: Yeah, you know, it's it's actually, it's. An, I've been here at Box for about two years now and we are um, going through, a, it's a pretty interesting kind of phase that we're in because you've got the best of both worlds where we are now at about 71,000 customers, 63% of the fortune 500 and so you've got a lot of scale, 50 million users then on the other side, we still operate like a startup and we're very nimble and there's a huge amount of innovation that's going on. We've kind of ridden the wave around some major mega trends that have acted as kind of tailwinds for us with the cloud and mobile and all of those. So um, I'd say, it's, is it hard? Um, there's no business that's easy, so it's always hard, but I think the quality of the problem um, you know, that you're solving is directly proportionate to the kind of talent of people that you can have attracted to the problem. So from that perspective, the reason it's fun is because it's a hard problem we are solving, you know, which is how do organizations go out and manage their content and change their culture around, um, you know, how they operate based on um, uh, what they're doing with information and how they actually respond to that information. So um, it's been a blast so far, you know, it's, it's, it's a great company.
0: That's awesome. Uh, I saw you give a really compelling uh, keynote um, and you shared some stunning stats. You talked about 52% of companies on the Fortune 500 since 2000 are no longer there. You talked about, you projected going 10 years to 2027 and you said 75% of S&P 500 uh, companies that are on the list will no longer be on the list. And you made bold statements that disruption is happening in every industry. It doesn't matter the size. It doesn't matter the industry. Yep. And Leading companies, you said, are reimagining how they um, develop and design for customer experience and, and customer engagement. You said every company is going to be a digital company. And you also mentioned old companies like GE that are leading transformation and best practices, as well as digital native companies that were born in the cloud, that were born mobile, born social. Um, tell us about, what, what are these drivers that are transforming you know, companies, and, and, and as you said, 63% of Fortune 100 trust Box to help them with transformation. So how are you guys doing it, and what are the drivers for this unprecedented uh, level of change?
3: yeah and it's actually by the way congratulations you you're a very active listener because um that's um, that's a lot of things to remember from a keynote, so that's great um, so you know it's it is actually fascinating to see that if you think about half life of companies and business models, they're shrinking to about seven or eight years so every seven or eight years, most companies will actually have a completely different way that their business model get architected compared to the way there was. And so it's almost a given that the next 10 years of your business will look very different from the past 50, right? And um, most of those businesses will either be, you know, most of the businesses are either going to be uh, disrupted themselves or they will be on an offensive trying to disrupt someone else. And the, the, those are the only two kind of outcomes that you'll have. There's not going to be a steady status quo where this business model that we have is going to be the same over the course of the next. You know, kind of 50 years. What's interesting for us when we are in this um, is the space that we call cloud content management. Where, how do you go out and really help organizations work more effectively with information and content in a way that fundamentally changes culture? Right? Like, do you go out and um, uh, you know, like we always kind of um, talk about this internally? You tell me what your IT stack is, and I'll tell you what your culture is. (laughs) <laughs> because it's a direct proportion to that like if you tell me that you're using a modern stack that's cloud-based that's mobile that you're giving your you've given your users a lot of kind of um you know freedom to use uh kind of modern technologies chances are you're probably more transparent in the way that you work chances are that you've got uh, you're able to attract top talent within your organization chances are that they're happy and they're fulfilled in the way that they're doing things chances are the best ideas work rather than a hierarchy dictating what's going on so those are all things that tend to be, you know, kind of pretty kind of tied together. So if, if I were to think of what we um, see happening is there is a difference between, like you mentioned GE, there's a difference between companies like GE, Nike, um, you know, Starbucks, those companies on one end. And if you look at other companies, um, you know, on the other side who might not be as effective even though they've been around for a long time. You know, um, you look at you know true value, or you look at Sears, or something of that sort. Like they you're, you starting to see that they're starting to face much more acute pressure than um, than than folks like um, GE and Nike. And it's because what what the folks that are doing well have done is they haven't just thought about going digital in a very simplistic way. Which is the first phase was let's just build an app, let's keep our business the same. We'll build an app, and we'll be digital. It's going to be great. And what we're finding is it's not just about building an app. You have to fundamentally change the ethos of your company and your operating model and your business model, in addition to your customer experience. And once you get all those three things together, there's a step function improvement that you have in the way that you move forward. So, um, you know, the the way that I would typically tell companies uh, to typically kind of advise companies on this front is. Um, don't think about going digital as just a single dimensional thing. It's you have to make sure that you have a fundamentally revised operating model, which is much more transparent, much less hierarchical, much much more focused on best idea winning. Uh, all of those pieces, um, you know, having the right kind of systems and technologies in place to enable people. Also focus on your business model because chances are, the source of your primary revenue stream today. Might get commoditized tomorrow, and you might need to have a different revenue stream tomorrow than the one that you have today. Um, and that that needs to be thought through in a way where you know the classic definition of disruption is when someone's disrupting you, um, uh, you don't see it coming until it's too late. But a great offensive player in disruption is one who creates disruption in such a way that the um, the people that are getting disrupted don't have an incentive to respond to you. Right. Right. right? And so if you look at yeah, what, you, kinda, you look at what Netflix did against Blockbuster, they, <laughs> they knew that Blockbuster made 50% of the revenues on, on late fees, and they said, we're going to go after that and have no late fees. There was no way for Blockbuster to respond to 50% of the revenue being a threat. So you know, th- th- that's kind of pretty important as we go through it. So to kind of round it out to what you were asking about. We believe that in order to go digital, firstly, every company is going to go digital. If you don't figure out a way to go digital, chances are it's going to be very unlikely that your company will not be impacted in some way or form with the tech disruption that's going on. And two, as you're doing that, it's not just about the shim of an app. You'll have to go out and change your entire organization, company, culture, business model, operating model. Um, and in order to do that, you have to make sure that you're thinking deeply about how each one of those things will need to change over time in a way that's very thoughtful um, to meaningfully disrupt the market.
0: Uh
1: And really relate to that, that's that's very interesting interesting to me, is that you guys practiced what you preached um, about last week or so. You guys changed your platform pricing, right? You're doing user base. People are like, I don't know how many registered users are working or not using it. You guys moved to, I mean, I mean, you're basically helping people shift their business models to active users, API calls, storage use, bandwidth. I mean, that's an example of uh, putting that into action, right? Especially when customers are actually, like partners are actually, developers are actually, you know, building new business models on top of your platform. You guys were actually giving them the ability to, transform how they actually charge or, or build products on top of that so and, yeah. uh, and that's, that's been interesting so tell us more about that platform pricing consistency how you guys got there why was that interesting uh, like how did you guys know that was what people were trying to get to In terms of shifting their business models and, and even disrupting yourself
3: yeah I, I think the way that we think about this is it's not that complicated actually the way you think about it is are you in complete alignment with your customers objectives or is there a conflict of interest between you and your customer and the more you can be in full alignment with your customer, you'll actually create business models that sustain and thrive. And if you actually go out and do things where the customer fails but you succeed, those don't tend to be sustainable kind of outcomes, right? So, um, so uh, customers buy us. Why do customers buy Box? Customers buy Box because they want to make sure that their um, their users can get more productive. Um, with a cloud content management solution, they also make sure that their businesses and business processes can get more automated, and they want to make sure that their their customer, suppliers, and partners can have better experiences um, with their technologies as a result of the use of Box. Right. So those are the reasons they buy us. Now, if we were to go to a customer, in the third, what we found was, as you go into this, the third area, which is, you know, one of the things we did about a year and a half, two years ago, was we said. People love using Box. Why don't we make sure that Box is available not just through our first party app and through integrations that we have with other, other partners like Salesforce, but also through any app that a customer builds themselves? So, if I'm a wealth management company like uh, um, you know, a financial services or wealth management company, and I want to be a custodian of estate planning or will documents. Wouldn't it be nice if the way in which people experience that content is in a similar way and similar kind of level of user delight as, Box, as people who are using Box can do it? So what we did was we took our entire stack of technology and made it available as a set of platform services. You know, so just like you use Twilio for notifications, you use Box for content. Now, the pricing model, the way that that was kind of really interesting and in how that came about is We had customers that started coming to us saying, I've got millions of customers. I've got 14 million or 18 million customers or users that I want to go out and make your technology available to. So give me a pricing model that makes sense to them. And what we wanted to do was take out the friction on how those customers could enable their customers. So we said, one way to do it is, okay, you've got 14 million users. We'll give you a very low, highly discounted price for 14 million users. And while that was great, 14 million times anything is a pretty large number. Right and so it just became a prohibitive for the customer. So what we said instead of doing that wouldn't it be nice if we said When does a customer actually derive value from us not when you deploy it to the user, but it's when the user starts using it So we said we're going to change our pricing model So that we do it in such a way that you should be paying for what the active uses and the resources You're consuming rather than just because you deployed it to someone So we completely pivoted our pricing model from a provisioned user to an active user pricing model. What that did was got us even more in alignment with the customer. And I think this is something that I would say my biggest learning I've had in software is extremely smart people make insanely logical decisions for exactly the right reasons that end up killing companies, right? (laughs) And, And so what you have to do is you have to go out and say, not just from your business is this right for the customer is the pricing model right for the customer if it's right for the customer then you will build a sustainable business we didn't feel like it was right for the customer to just go out and charge them on provisioned users when there were people that were coming to us with millions of users we said let's charge you on active use and as you succeed and as more people use the product you're going to get more value from it you're going to be okay with paying us and that's exactly what started happening very smart
0: very smart Uh, One of my favorite uh, tweets from Aaron is um, the following. Adding software to a broken process doesn't make you digital. The biggest challenge is reimagining the process, not writing software. And as I think about reimagining customer engagement and improving the customer experience and shifting from a defensive to an offensive mindset where you're proactive and as Ray says, you use contextual intelligence for mass personalization at scale. I think of this movement towards artificial intelligence as, as as an enabler for you to really reimagine the process. What yeah. are your thoughts in terms of AI uh, and, and the user experience as we look forward?
3: Yeah, so if you think about AI, and we we talk about we we are you know, kind of pretty entrenched in this right now. So if you think about AI, one of the things that we think of the top level tenant that we focus on is a piece of content um, should disproportionately compound in value when it's put in box versus someplace else, right? Yeah. And so the value of that one same piece of content is much higher for for the user and for the company when it's in box versus it's in some other kind of repository or some other kind of, um, in a content management system. Okay. One way to do that, is by making sure that you don't compete with the innovation velocity of um, you know, technology, but actually use that as a tailwind. So I'll give you an example of how this really kind of makes sense. Sure. Um, we, you know, what you see with AI and machine learning specifically is that the algorithms for machine learning are actually quite commoditized and pretty broadly available. What's differentiating is not the algorithm, but the training data sets,
1: right?
3: Now, we happen to be extremely fortunate in the sense that we have a very large training data set because we've got, you know, 71,000 customers and our is growing at a rate that's twice the rate of the acquisition of customers or revenue, right? So we're actually seeing a very, very steep curve on the content growth. Um, And so when you start seeing that, you say, okay, so how do we go out and compound the value of content within Box compared to some other Place. Well, one thing you can do is say we've got a data set. Let's make sure that we tie into as many external systems as possible, so that they can add value to our data set. So, for example, um, I might be a healthcare company, and I have you know uh, radiology images, MRIs, and you know uh, CAT scans and uh, X-ray documents mm-hmm. that um, that I have in my system. Uh, because we are a HIPAA-compliant repository that holds 120 different file formats, and we've got that as a capability. Wouldn't it be nice if we also made available the capability that someone else could take and apply their logic to that content in a secure way for our, on behalf of our customer, as long as our customer is okay with it? Well, it might just happen to be that for that particular use case, a particular algorithm like Watson um, you know, from IBM might be a really good algorithm to go out and detect cancer within a breast image. However, if I go out to a travel agency uh, and they've got pictures of different cities, Google's Vision API might be a better way to go out and detect um, what city this picture is from. And Watson might not be as good as Google Vision API. And if you go to contracts, Microsoft might be much better at going out and detecting contracts. Because we are a neutral third party that actually believes in an open ecosystem, we can actually tie in all those three ML engines with our, ta- our training data set and really compound the value for the customer because they don't have to worry about going out and tying to any of those. We will just make the connective tissue over there from us. And so the way that we think machine learning will really get a um, kind of add um, you know, step function value is you'll be able to start doing things with content that you never really imagined before. Initially, you'll try to say, okay, let me just replace a human task. But the, eventually, you might be able to do things that humans could not do before that you can do, actually, with these algorithms coming together. And that actually is when you can really um, you know, compound the value. And that's what we're trying to do. So in the next 10 years, what you'll start to see is when you have content in box versus anywhere else, like it, it, it'll be like a, um, it's a meaningful step function improvement. And this is a 10-year problem. This is not a one or two-year problem. It's, we'll be, we're thinking about this from a very long-term perspective. But we'll continue to start having solutions that you'll start to see come out over the course of the next few years.
0: YouTube, lightning
3: killer,
1: round.
0: That's a killer vision. I love it. Yeah.
1: I really so G- do. 2 lightning round. Lightning round. So, so right. all right. So for 2020, right? AR, VR. Thumbs up. Thumbs
3: down. Um, thumbs up. I think for what what AR, VR will do is uh, what it uh, what. Um, iPads dip for the knowledge worker that's going to do for some of the field workers So uh, I think it's going to be a very very different kind of immersive experience And I think voice will be just as significant over there as well So AR VR and voice will be the different interfaces as you move forward AI um, as the new UX up or down Um, So I think AI and ML specifically will be based in the fabric of what you do I don't think about ML as a UX. I think of ML as the experience that the users will actually derive from, um, from different sites. We have an advantage over that because of our trading data sets. So that's all we talked about earlier. Well, I'm
1: not talking about you. I'm talking about in general, in the marketplace, not about your product, vision, right? Like vision, sense, speech, like, right? Like,
0: natu- like natural language processing where you know, yes. you're engaging with enterprise apps through voice.
3: I think you will see much more conversational interfaces because of ML and natural language than what you'll see otherwise across every category of software. Yeah,
4: totally agree.
1: Got it. IoT, um, thumbs up, thumbs down. What do you think by 2020? Uh,
3: so you know, streaming data and making sure that you've got data and everything. The reason GE has seven to eight billion dollars in software revenue is because of IoT, because they've got sensors in every single one of the hardware pieces that they have. So it's a uh, I, I I wish you give me something that I can put a thumbs down to, but AI, AR, VR, IoT, um, and ML all no problem,
1: no problem. Enterprise cloud. content management in the cloud, thumbs up, thumbs down. <laughs> thumbs up. <laughs> all right, we've got G2 Patel, senior vice president, of platform and chief strategy officer at Box. Twitter, you can follow him at jpatel41. We'll figure out what the 41 is about Please later. Please come back. Yeah. You were awesome. You were a very terrific. You.
0: Appreciate it. Thank you, G2. Okay. That was terrific. Yeah, Ray, what I hear you talk about some of the hottest emerging technology. Thumbs thumb down would have been pretty tough.
1: <laughs> all right, I'm trying to simplify it. I'm trying to get right. We try right. these lightning rounds all the time. It's, it's hard. I'm thinking
0: of a guy who has no problem giving thumbs down if it makes sense. Nice to hat. You know. <laughs> oh, nice hat. Oh, Ray, we got to get Disrupt TV hats. What's going on here? I'm 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 doing a bad marketeer for our. We we'll get,
1: we'll get hats made. We get hats <laughs> made.
0: We're uh, a
4: promise. Yeah, that oh, was, yeah, was a happy with two months ago, but we'll go there later. I um, get paid for doing these things, you know.
0: <laughs> we are. Uh, He's a
1: walking he, he billboard. Like, He's a walking he, sponsored he, billboard.
0: Yeah, he doesn't like me when I do intros of him to the show, but I'm doing it anyway. We now have our cleanup hitter, uh, guy who's going to come in and hit a grand slam with his insights, Esteban Kolsky, principal and founder of Thinkjar. Uh, Thinkjar, a customer strategy consulting firm, a think tank organization helping companies and users successfully become better, more open, more collaborative, ultimately growing revenue and delighting customers. He's a customer strategist. We'll call him Esteban. Esteban's a customer strategist, researcher, keynote speaker, and a consultant with over 15 years of consulting experience. Eight of it was with Gartner. He doesn't like talking about that. He's also a first ballot hall of fame to disrupt TV. And uh, you can follow Esteban on Twitter at Ekolsky, E-K-O-L-S-K-Y. And you can also read his super smart blogs, uh, at EstebanKoloski.com. Welcome Esteban
4: to the TV. I'm crying. I'm crying. <laughs> uh, right after my mom, you're the best. The best person I know. <laughs> all
1: right, all right. So hey, we, we we're gonna do a rundown. This was a very interesting week. We are in the middle of like conference season. We're seeing tons of different announcements. Everyone's got an AI product. Everyone's got X, Y, and Z. But we're also seeing the rise and fall of some of the early of technology winners in 2010. So tell me about the requiem on Jive that it kind of looked like when you put out the other
4: day. What, what's oh, going on? We're so, gonna start simple, huh? We're gonna start easy then. We're gonna start simple, not controversial. Let's just go <laughs> so, hard. For the complete disclaimer, disclaimer, you should see my blog, but I have history with Jive. I started working with them about 10 years ago, so maybe a little less. I know them for longer. I know they've heard from the beginning and so forth, But. Uh, uh, I, I, I love the product, I have to say. I mean, until version six came along, it was pretty crappy on-premises product. Version six did a good job putting it on, on, on the cloud and they've done really good job since then. Their uh, chief product guy, uh, uh, Offerbend a bit, um, really smart guy, incredibly intelligent. And yet the company sucked uh, really bad. Nine quarters of continuous decline. Uh, one quarter, they actually made 1.75% profit uh, margin on their on the revenues because they laid off 15% of the workforce. That was the only way to make money. So this doesn't talk to a product of, a product problem. It talks to a management problem. The management has been horrible, and I'm being nice to them for the last two three years. They should have left long time ago. They came with a purpose to sell the company. They weren't able to do that, and finally somebody felt sorry enough to give them a fire sale lowest as you can get price for the company. Um, doesn't even cover the money. Nobody's making money on this. Uh, yes, the company is public, but there's a lot of people that came in since the company went public that are not gonna make any money on their options. Uh, most of the investors that had any money left in it couldn't sell it, blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, well, what's the the lesson way? learned.
1: What's the what's the lesson learned, especially for customers and for uh, people that are working in the Valley? When you when you encounter a situation like this, right? Companies come and go. They rise, they fall. You know, not a lot of companies make it to you know the hundred million mark. Not a lot of companies make it to the billion mark. Not a lot of companies make it to the ten billion mark. Right? There's something special, right? When you, when you get to that point, but,
4: but, no, but everyone's going off. But see, You're that's gonna valuation doesn't mean anything. There's two things that matter, right? There's the product and there's management. The product is good but if management sucks, the product is not going anywhere. I mean you can take a good product and make it stick because management makes the wrong decisions. Jive decided to make the stupid decision of splitting the product into three products that didn't go anywhere, building mobile apps that didn't go out any value, you know, customers were complaining about things that were never resolved. They were two, three, four years going and they had never been resolved. There were a lot of problems, you know, in the way they were doing things and management was not paying attention. The management they brought was inexperienced They didn't know anything. The lessons learned here, really simple. If you have a good product, get out of the way. Let the product shine on its own. Let the market decide what the product should do and listen to the market. The lesson for investors and the investors knew this because Jay went through two or three uh, sessions where they were gonna be acquired and you in due diligence to decide not to, mostly because of management. So if you're an investor, make sure that your management team actually is aligned with what you want to do. Go ahead.
1: And now here's the interesting thing. What happens if the if the management is great and the product sucks?
4: <laughs> that's go that's actually good because you can take the management and put him in another company in your portfolio. <laughs>
1: You sound like a PE firm runner.
4: You can't, you can't save a <laughs> so. bad product, you know, but actually, you know, the, the, the interesting thing in what he said is, and we talked about this before, if the product is bad, the product will never make it to market to the point that, you know, good management will just, you know, be hung around for a while. I mean, it, it's really hey. simple. It, 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 management and product have to work together to make it successful.
0: I'm I
4: mean,
1: assume- the, best, the best product doesn't win in the Valley. It's the best marketing. <laughs>
4: I agree with you. But marketing only really takes you so far. Look at me. This is yeah. the start
0: of my career. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna shift topics to one, your recent blog. You pointed to a, a MIT review blog on differences between AI and machine learning. And in the blog, you said you, you advise people to read it carefully. And you talked about, you know, the blog talked about as technology advances. You might soon cross a threshold where AI requires a leap of faith. And ultimately, there were individuals using deep learning, machine learning, and they didn't quite understand certain outcomes. One of the examples was Mount Sinai in New York, applying deep learning to 700,000 patient record information. And they called the project Deep Patient. And then at some point, Deep Patient was able to detect uh, diseases um, very accurately, and yet the doctors didn't quite know how they were how the algorithm was was achieving this this accurate success rate. Uh, so what advice do you have? what's the learning from this from this whereby you know as companies talk about transparency and trust and yet you're, they're looking at technologies advancing at such rate where the people that are responsible for the, the outcomes can't quite describe how they got from A to B
4: yeah so so a couple things i mean first that article is 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 excellent because it brings back to the forefront things about machine learning that most people don't understand or they never really thought right i mean you got to differentiate between artificial intelligence and machine learning artificial intelligence advanced analytics anybody can do it this is what 99.99 percent of the companies are using what we call AI for, it's just take the data, find patterns, find the repetition of the patterns, and then automate the hell out of that, right? But machine learning is different. Machine learning is when you tell the machines, I have no idea what to make with this, you figure it out. Here's the parameters that you have to go through, and you figure out what to do with it, right? And it, it is a little scary because when you say you figure it out, you're saying, it's like you know when I tell my kids, why don't you figure out how to do something? And they figure out something that is completely the opposite of what I was thinking they would end up doing, because they think right? <laughs> Yeah. They, they, they don't have they don't have all the constraints, they don't have all the biases, they don't have all the parameters, they don't have the variables. They have what they have. They, they don't give care. Their they their don't care. <laughs> yeah, they don't care. And machines care even less. So when we look at, you know, science fiction treatment of artificial intelligence, we're talking about, like, you know, rogue machines that started as, as, as machine learning. Deep learning is a great marketing term, but it's still the same thing, right? But, you know, we, we look at rogue machines that started as machine learning and basically got... you know awareness and and actually on monday i'm publishing a a link to another article that talks about awareness because i want to talk about this if you're going to talk about about artificial intelligence let's talk about the stuff that matters let's talk about how our neural network can actually expand itself and become you know conscious of its problem but then let's talk about how we constrain those problems Hmm. the only way that we're going to get to singularity the only way we're going to get to like you know a, a problem like machines taking over is because there's going to be one stupid human being in the world and there's always one that is going to say, I don't care what the outcome is, just go ahead and run with it and see where you go with it. We haven't done that, and we likely won't never do that. But yeah. you know, we're going to have the discussion, so we actually prevent that from happening.
0: So the distinction that was made, a very simple one, but often missed, is that instead of programmers writing commands and solving problems, you're not delegating program generating its own algorithm based on example data. And right. outputs sometimes can be contradictory or Nearly impossible to 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 understand. They
4: usually, are, they usually are impossible to 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 understand because if you look at how uh, neural networks work, right, it's basically the same way that you actually infer or deduce anything. They start with one known item and then they start going into all the branches and ramifications of that until they get to the outcome that you're looking for, right? And then all the many outcomes essentially. But the, the the path that it takes through the neural network is the same if I were to ask you, why don't you tell me what three memories you actually used to recall this thing that you did yesterday? Maybe <laughs> like I don't know I mean I remember this and then but this was based on that and, and that was based on that and that was based on that and then this and this and that and then there's six million things that you don't know and that's how the way machines work machines build their deductions based on like you know what the neural network did not in the same way that you and I think about it it's not a logical way to get to the outcome and this is why you know the, this, these doctors were surprised what deep patient found is because well logically it doesn't make sense yeah but it's not a logical deduction it's a machine deduction it's very different yeah, uh, those psychiatric
0: uh, diseases were, yeah, completely shocking results of oh, the yeah. doctor. But, but anyway, so it's, 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 it's a fascinating article, and uh, thanks for sharing it with us.
4: Oh, they went on Monday, yeah. like a little better.
1: <laughs> hey, No, no, it was, it was a great article, and, and, you know, what was really scary for me is, like, I hadn't watched The Matrix in, like, 10 years, and I was watching The Matrix, and I get to the bottom, and, like, and I realize, holy crap, this whole story was about AI, ML. And when you think about it, like, the only reason Keanu Reeves succeeds is because humans can read between the rules right? right. the machines follow the rules that were created but humans can actually move between the rules and around the rules and that's the one thing AI can't do right?
4: I, be- I watched the Matrix trilogy or the weekend because hell you know I don't sleep anyway so what's the point you know and, and it, that's, that's exactly what I was starting to look at it from that perspective of like machine learning and all that the, the fact that yes. like- Yes, and, and you know, there's all this, like, you know, the, there's the, the, the agents, right, like, you know, Hugo uh, uh, Smith and whatever. They're actually, they're actually programs created for the specific purpose of disrupting the neural network. That would be fascinating to, do, to take on as well, right, not only from the research perspective, which I know it's done, but, like, how can a company create an, a, a, an agent that will go and disrupt some, some opposing company's neural networks like the conclusions are wrong? That's the fun part, man. Let's get to that. Let's forget this like, you know, whole predictive and prescriptive crap that anybody can do in their sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we've talked about the rise and fall of
1: companies, products you know, versus good marketing. Um, we're talking AI ML. Let's go flashback, right? Back to the CIO and CMO convergence. We talked about this, and, and the rise of the chief digital officer. Are chief digital officers dead? Are they real? What's going on? Not, we're accepting chief digital evangelists. But chief digital officers, what happens, right? What's going on?
4: Well, so you, you, and, I, you and I did a great, great thing in, uh, in Italy, was it, right? Yeah, in Italy. I think it was in 2013 we did this great show where we actually pretended to be a CIO and a CMO and had the emergence of the CDO. We did right? a
1: skit on, on skit live. We changed what we were going to do on the plane, on the way to Milan, so.
0: That's awesome. I've spoken to about 10 CDOs in the last two weeks, so they're definitely there, just just to, just to put
4: it out. Yeah, up. you know, so so, so are, so are blacksmiths, and they're like, you know, uh, we also think that we still have a few truck drivers available, you know, Come on, dude. Most Just popular know. job
0: in 47 states, truck driver. Just let you
4: know. What's, what's the purpose of the CDO? To manage digital assets. What's it, what are digital assets? Data. What is data? Everything. Anybody in the company should be a CDO. Why, why would you put somebody? Even the people, you know, more than half the people that actually became CDOs in the last five years, they already abandoned that and they moved to some other titles because there's no purpose to it. You
0: say that, that, but last week, your former company, Gartner, released a study that said only 40% of businesses have started their digital transformation. So 60% are still using legacy products, legacy solutions, and are ripe for disruption. So, you know, there's... 100%
4: 100% of them will continue to use legacy products and, and, and services, okay? There's no way. those those oh co- God. How did you get to that
1: step,
0: man? That's brilliant. <laughs>
4: those, those, those COBOL programs that I wrote in 1980s, 1990s, they're still around and running most of the business. Okay? Oh, COBOL programmers are making big money right now. No question. <laughs> they're making four to 600 bucks an hour just to maintain old stuff that is still running it's every
1: time. I forget Angular. Tell your kids to learn COBOL. <laughs>
4: Visual Cobalt, Visual Cobalt, dude. Come on. Microsoft Visual Cobalt.
0: I don't see it on your Twitter bio though. I don't see Cobalt on your Twitter bio. Listen,
4: are you kidding me? It was the third third or fourth program that I learned. okay <laughs> <laughs>
1: hey, you know, we have we, we a stat that by 2025, there will be no chief digital officers, but more digitally enabled CXO, so we, so we get this, but, but the chief digital officer concept, it is hot, it is still hot, it's got legs, right?
4: And, and so, was, so was the chief customer officer for a while, then we've seen the decline of those and the emergence of the CMO as a strategy, you know, so was, the, what was the, the, what's the new one that is pushing at the chief artificial intelligence officer, you know, we run out of three letters, we go to four now, I mean. No, isn't it, that a robot? <laughs>
0: yeah, it doesn't
4: matter. <laughs> only, you know, you know you
0: it's say, robot. You say that Jack Ma, Jack Ma just said that by two thousand thirty, Time Magazine CEO of the year will
4: be a machine.
0: <laughs> you know,
4: Bala, I, what you I, I don't know personally. I cannot say whether he's he's smart or not. Okay. <laughs> He's smart. He's smart. I, I know. I know Bill Gates personally, and 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 you know, from from a long time ago. And I tell you, he's a really smart guy, and and you know, he really gets it. And I never saw Bill Gates say, "Hey, we need a chief digital officer for Microsoft." <laughs> um, so. Okay, listen.
1: One uh, topic. that I one topic. some cool stories about Jack. So, and how he stole all the. Once he once the Yahoo deal kind of failed, he just replicated it on his own. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> so.
0: One, one topic that I'm interested in is you're going to do your sixth year research, your customer service survey, yeah. and, and you're talking about adoption and trends in customer service. And in a blog, you created the stack, top at the SaaS layer at the top and bottom, and customer service had four pillars. You had sales, you had marketing, and you talked about, as you're entering the cloud-based era, microservices, algorithms, all of these technologies and, uh, and capabilities. Tell us about your survey. What are you looking to validate, if anything, and, and, and what's the point of view for your and survey? The
4: underlying theory, which hasn't changed much over the last six years, is that uh, customer service is, is not, eight. number one, not quick to adopt technologies. And number two, uh, ad- when it, they adopt them, they adopt them at the hype, at the top of the hype level, and uh, they run them down all the way to like, becoming almost unusable right so if you think about pick your favorite technology email chat chatbots is a new one now, right ai we're going to adopt them when it's at the peak, peak of, at the peak of the hype and then we're going to figure out that they're not really as advanced as we thought and then we're slowly going to stop using them and then eventually we'll figure out what to do chatbots that everybody's talking about now we adopted them first 20 years ago we grew to about like 20 percent market adoption then it went down to one two percent and now it's around 17 20 percent again so we see a lot of value in this stuff. You know? there's, 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 there's a lot of stuff uh, in, in customer service, but the, the, the bottom line, what I'm trying to find out is like, you know, how many customers are actually moving in the direction of a cloud-based, platform-based customer service. How That's- do you take the survey? How do you take the survey? How do I do the survey? Oh, how do
0: you take the survey? Do you co- go to EstebanKolsky.com, and there's a link there? Oh,
4: yeah. If you, go to, if you go to my blog, you should find it. It's really easy. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm tweeting like crazy these days until I get enough answers. So on okay. my Twitter feed, you'll find it. All
1: right. <laughs> hey, I'm going to write about it. Hey, we've got some, Are you willing to we've got some offshore farm that's going to send you some survey responses. So. Well, here's, here's
4: a good part for you, Vala. <laughs> here's a good part. Because, because my sponsor for this, uh, for this year is uh, Salesforce.com, and uh, you work for a company called Salesforce.com, uh, you get access to the results before anybody else. If you want to write something about it, I'll send you the data before we have a, a webinar schedule. Wait, no, no, he's not
1: he's not eligible to participate in the survey. I mean, no, 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 isn't I, that I, where you like, you know, existing family members, I, I, members companies, I, affiliates, and partners cannot apply. No,
4: no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no,
0: no, I wrote a I, I wrote on your customer experience survey, it was one of my most popular Huffington Post blogs. So I definitely want the research as soon as possible. Thank you. We
4: have we have a webinar <laughs> scheduled in July six to share the results, but I'll give them to you before so you can write a nice article that plugging in the webinar. Awesome! Awesome! All right, Esteban Kolski, <laughs> principal and founder of ThinkJar at E Kolski.
1: We've had a very, very exciting thing. Last question, man. What's going on with startups in Silicon Valley? Thumbs up or thumbs down?
4: Uh, depends what you call a startup, but you know, for microservices companies that are actually creating microservices to run on platforms, thumbs up. Anybody else? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and there you have it. The summary. All right, live on Disrupt TV. All right, hey, thanks a lot for being on the show, Esteban. Thank you, guys.
0: Thanks. Uh, it, I can't think of a better way of ending episode 60 than having uh, having uh, one of one of the smartest guys I know. You know, he's so loose and you know he's so fun uh, that you know if you're first time watching, you may not realize he's one of the brightest minds in enterprise software. So. We're waiting out. for the
1: hate mail from uh, from from some software company that uh, yeah just, just all bought. the startup anyway.
0: <laughs> <from the> microservices. <laughs> <laughs> just think about exactly. all the startup founders we've had Ray who are not in the microservices business on the show they're gonna love this so, thing
1: <laughs> episode 11 eleven a m pt to two p m eastern who do we have next week
0: uh, we got an amazing show we've got Diana O'Brien CMO of Deloitte. So, you know, small company you may have heard of. So <laughs> Diana will join us, talk about all of the marketing trends and research from Deloitte. We have Jonathan David Lewis, uh, McKee wall and Company, author of Brand vs. Wild, Building Resilient Brands for Harsh Business Environments. And then we have John Short, San Francisco Chief, uh, Bureau Chief at USA Today. So we've got a digital marketing theme and we're bringing a media editor to help validate some of the trends that we'll be talking about in terms of digital businesses. So, it's awesome show.
1: Very, very cool. So, hey, please stay tuned. Please follow us on Twitter, follow us on our podcast, and follow us, of course, this show, hashtag for more. If you've got a speaker that you want to bring on board, CEO, founder, CXO, doing some innovative stuff. Um, please definitely let us know. We're definitely always looking for great folks, book authors, leaders, thought leaders, everyone else. And if you're an influencer who think you should be on Disrupt TV show, let us know, tweet to us. So take care, everyone.
0: If it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. See you, everyone. (laughs)